Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by The Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond. In this episode, Ryan and I are joined by my brother Aaron as we tell a few of our sob stories. Yes, tales of our experiences with sobs, including the purchase of the 9.3 Viggen and our Saab 9000 race car. Stay tuned to hear if all of our stories end on a traditionally sorrowful note. Welcome, yes. everybody, to the uh, Autoholic podcast number, I'm not sure, and <laughs> Don't I'm here with uh, no. Stephen and Aaron Diamond. Uh, I'm drinking a fine glass of uh, Hans Rebholtz wine, which I happened to be drinking in the last podcast that I just <laughs> listened to, uh, but this Hans Rebholtz is an upgrade off what I was drinking last time, because this is the Grosses Gewex, which is a, uh, the, you know, the Riesling version of Grand Cru, so... Uh, what are you guys drinking? So I'm drinking a 40-year-old port that we got in Portugal. It's a Royal or Oporto. Oh, you uh, guys bought it when you were there. Yes, yeah. we bought it when we were in Portugal. We bought a couple of bottles. That, I think, was the nicest. Yeah, so it is, uh, you know, 1980 uh, from Porto, uh, 20% alcohol. Um, Royal Oporto was established in 1756. Um, and it was bottled so, in 2013. That's interesting. Yeah. I was about to ask you that question. When they have a 1980 port, when did they bottle it? So the yeah. aging is done in big barrels, not in yep. the bottles. Right. Right. Okay. And it has, interesting. And it has an. You can tell that in the color. Um, it has a nice brownish hue to it, rather than what you might see in a, a typical port, like a tawny, uh, which is a deep maroon color. So you can definitely tell. Uh, that it's been in a barrel and kind of soaked up uh, all that oak. And it's very smooth, not overly sweet at all. Um, and it's, yeah, very good. Um, before uh, we ask Aaron uh, what he's drinking, I'd just like to give some backstory of Aaron is my brother. He's my older brother. Um, and he works for Stable Energies in Garfield, New Jersey currently. Yep. Um, which is he can tell you a little bit more about it. You might you've heard him in our previous podcast, but we didn't properly introduce him at the time. I've um, listened, commented on things. <laughs> yes. Previously. Um, but now we're officially introducing him, and I'm sure he'll be on the podcast in future episodes as well. So, Aaron, uh, tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you're drinking. Uh, yeah. So as Stephen mentioned, uh, he is my brother. Um, and I work at Stable Energies Motorsports, which is um, it's a motorsports supplier. So we have we do safety equipment, racing equipment, seats, harnesses, um, roll cages, suits, that sort of helmets, that sort of thing. Um, if you're going racing, talk to Aaron. Yeah, if you're in the Northeast and you're going racing, um, you basically have have me to talk to. <laughs> and I will mention that Stable Energies is actually when is the some of the only person who recertifies certain types of fire bottles yeah, for professional uh, race teams across the country we are the only certified uh recertifier for omp fire suppression systems and that's all so i get contacted and i'm actually the one who r takes care of that side of the business too um so i talk to race teams all across the country from your Joe Schmo with his Porsche Cup or 
I just had a guy with a Triumph TR4 race car that he's has an old old thing, and up to, all the way up to like DTM teams I've talked to, and full DTM in, teams. Yeah, really? I actually did some work with uh, the Mercedes-Benz DTM team, and uh, work with oh, a couple like Lamborghini, the entire Lamborghini Super Trofeo team, uh, the, the that entire series. They run OMP fire bottles, so all of their fire bottles basically have to go through us. So basically, when Ryan and I's racing careers start to take off a little bit more, we'll be calling you, Aaron, and your contacts basically, in the racing industry. It doesn't have to take off take off all that far because, I mean, I talked to everybody from shops. We're a master distributor for Recaro Seats, um, major distributor for OMP and Troth and Alpine Stars. So everybody who's just starting out to full-on race teams, I've put together an entire suit for... Uh, an IMSA race team. So it's it's interesting. We're a very, very small, small company. Um, but yeah, it's like amazing. I refer to the GT3 Cup team as a, a Joe Schmo with the GT3 <laughs> Cup. You know, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, that's what a Joe Schmo means. I wouldn't mind being <laughs> hey, It also goes all the way down to like your SCCA guys and now. You see a lot of lemons, people. A handful. Not so many. <laughs> I think we have a cheaper system than OMP in our lemons car. Yeah. Well, actually, we have an OMP seat in our lemons car. No, no, yeah. You got, like, I recall in the beginning, one of, you know, we'll go a little bit further into our 24 hours of lemons racing career, but one of my original complaints when we were building the car was that Aaron got an expensive seat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and were you working at Stable at the time when we established the team? I was not. No, no, so no. <laughs> you just got an expensive seat, and I was like, "Why did you guys do that?" And like, in you the can't end, put a price I, on okay. safety. Yep, you can't. I would say that those OEM those OMP seats are wonderful. They're very, very nice. Like, and one of the things about, I mean, we can go into that a little bit later, but the material on them is very durable. Um, but to get back, what I am drinking tonight. Um, I'm actually drinking a single malt scotch. It's a Glen Caddam, 10 years, so it's a very young scotch. So it's very light colored. It's kind of golden, uh, golden yellow, golden brown. Yeah, picked it up and wanted something simple, but nicer than like, Chivas. <laughs> and you're drinking it uh, straight up on the rocks with some water? Uh, with a splash of water. Very nice. I will Same. make a idea to put a splash of water and alcohol i i can't drink scotch that's or whiskey the I have to you're supposed to drink that's the proper way you're supposed to that's a proper dram or scotch is you put a yeah, little bit of water it makes it a lot more floral it, it's so interesting though because i think about as a kid for example i remember you know i have a gluten allergy i can't drink beer or that you know scotch whiskey whatever and we said well why don't we just put some water on top of rum and we can play beer pong with this and it was like one of the most atrocious things that i had ever <laughs> ever consumed and after that i was always like horrified at the idea of putting water on top of any alcohol but i i know that it's it's a real thing i just don't can't correlate it i feel like the experience would have been the same whether or not you put water on it or, at all like Playing beer pong with rum just sounds <laughs> yeah, disgusting. Yeah, it does not sound fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, it's a bad idea either way, but like straight <laughs> rum would have definitely tasted better than what we were drinking, I can assure you. 
Well, before we get into the conversation about cars, I will just make a disclaimer that Autoholics Anonymous does not promote drinking and driving in any way. Uh, and uh, yeah, so stay safe. If you're drinking, stay home and, and chat with your buds and talk about driving and, and don't drive. <laughs> right. And listen to us while we talk and drink about cars. Exactly. We drink and talk about cars. I said, talk and drink about cars. <laughs> All right, this is my first. This is my first glass of port still. Twenty <laughs> percent of Porto is starting to get to Stephen already. So today, the topic of conversation. You know, this is really going to be a sob story, so to speak. Just like you know, Aaron's shirt can uh, can can attest to. Yeah, I'm uh, repping a blip shift uh, sob story shirt here. We, we all have a big connection to Sobs, and, and it, it's, uh, uh, it goes way back for, for us. Um, but as of late, maybe more of a connection than ever before. Uh, I, you know, I grew up not having any Sobs you know, in my own household, but my, uh, my best friend growing up, his, his family always had Sobs. They had first like you know, an, an original 900 non-turbo automatic, actually. I can remember it red four-door automatic hatchback with tan interior you know those cloth seats actually and uh and then they got a, a white 900s new generation with a stick and i always liked the uh on the stick shift on those 900 ngs it was just like a rubber boot like cascades mm-hmm. of rubber i don't know if you can imagine it, like a rubber pyramid up to the yep. shifter and just so like it's I didn't almost know like it. a it's like a cover for a bus stick shift uh, they, yeah. Very, very industrial. Industrial. That's exactly what I was going to say. But also very say. Euro chic in a way. Right. So I didn't know about Swedish like uh, or Scandinavian like minimalist design at the time. But thinking back, that was totally, you know, Scandi minimalist modern type design. Because like who would put that on any regular car? You know, it, 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 they could have just done something else cheaper. That was like purposefully utilitarian. Um, and then, you know, uh, my, my buddy's dad, he got a Vigan and that was what really cemented sobs in my brain because, uh, he had a, a Vigan tuned up to stage three by Abbott racing, big downpipe and, and exhaust. And it was lowered on, on, on like dished OZ super Lugera wheels. It was like the coolest car growing up. It, it, the silver you know, three door, right? What's that? Silver three door. No, it was a gray four-door. Gray four-door. Five-door. Gray four-door. Five-door, right. And uh, so growing up, I spent a lot of time in that. And I I recall, like, you know, Harry and I, as young kids, we talk about how him and his dad would go 155 in that car. (laughs) And we thought it was, like, the craziest thing ever. But really, it could do it. You know, it was a highway car. And that that was kind of got me into speed. I I was always, like, fascinated by speed after that. So... uh, you know, uh, I, I, I've been crazy about Saabs since back then, and uh, I've owned uh, I've owned one myself. But uh, more recently, Stephen and Aaron have uh, have both owned a Saab. I will say. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, uh, we're interested in talking to Aaron about his recent experiences in that Saab. Right. Yeah, yes. The one that the one that we have originally started out with. Uh, both Stephen and I were living in Brooklyn, New York, and we both have old Mercedes Benzes. 
Stephen has his W123. I have a W124. Uh, what do you have? Yeah, it's a my W124 is a 400E. Um, and, and if you can't imagine, uh, they're both matching midnight blue. Yeah, they're both 300Es, 10 years apart from each other. So the uh, the the 400E owned by Aaron has like a I'm trying to think of the right word for it. I'd maybe call it like a Japanese like bazooka straight pipe. Like it looks like something <laughs> you'd see on one of those it used JDM. To. It doesn't have that anymore. Oh, you don't have the straight the black straight pipe anymore? No, the black straight pipe that went away a little well, a few years ago and I actually put a nicer exhaust tip on the end of it. it was oh, nice I had no idea. Um, and unfortunately that rusted off. <laughs> So it's back to actually exiting underneath the car. Um, but the 400E is a story for another time. A, yes. Um, but they're both cars that are not great in the winter. Be it that they're both rear-wheel drive cars. I mean, you can. I drove mine in the winter for many years, and Stephen Same. drove his for many years. But they do, do start to rust to pretty badly. <laughs> Say that again, Ryan. Do you have any rust to tell the tale of those winters? Yeah, mine does. <laughs> I don't know about it. Aaron's 400D is pretty clean, even still. You have you have some rust bubbling up, but there's some rust on the front fender and the rear fender, but that's a majority of it. Um, but we were living in Brooklyn and we were looking for a car to drive in the winter, something cheap um, that we could just kind of toss about. But still fun. Still fun. And still it still had, had to be interesting. Still had to be interesting, and of course, but we cheap. found probably the most interesting car you could possibly find. Right. Well, for a little... second though, before we get into like this specific car that you bought, mm -hmm. why would you have even been thinking about a Saab? So well, uh... the initial thought, I guess, of why we thought about a Saab is we were looking for something that was either four-wheel drive or front-wheel drive. Yes. Primary goal was capability in snow. We wanted to make it basically the ultimate snow car studded snows, mud flaps, that kind of thing. Um, so we're looking at, I mean, our uncle is a big Audi guy. So the first thing we started looking at were Audis. Yeah, B5, S, you know, A4s. Mostly we a trailer. And yes, I was, I was, I'm calling Steven. I'm like, buy it, <laughs> buy it, buy it. I'm trying to get to buy this B5 S4 wagon. So yeah, we I did bid on it. I did bid on it. Yep. We yeah, did it was like, it was a, a little bit. Yeah, it was like six thousand, and it sold for like twelve or something. Yeah, yeah, I think we went up to eight or something like that. And yeah, I might have gone up to eight. But yeah, we had, so what ended up happening is make this story kind of shorter. Is we ended up finding I found actually two yes. cars that were of interest. One was a early Audi A4 wagon or Avant. Um, I believe it was a. It was a 2.8, um, so it was a P6. With that, a stick. Yeah, with a, always yep, manual. Yeah, with manual. That was that was one of the stipulations that had to right. be a manual. Yep. Um, I remember you were totally uninspired about that car, Steve, and you were like, oh, "Well, yes. it's a car." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, it was. Blah. It, it, I mean, yeah. there was nothing to it. It was just a boring Audi. And the steering feel, I, I just could not get comfortable with the whole, I think we've talked about it a little bit in the past, 
but Volkswagen clutches are so springy and I'm just not accustomed to them. And I think they have no feel. Um, I mean, your Jetta, I think is okay. The modern Volkswagens have gotten a little bit better, but you know, my uncle, he had an, uh, an S6, um, and I didn't like the clutch on that very much either. Um, so I, it still had that same feeling and, uh, I just couldn't get comfortable with it. The steering was very vague, uh, off center. And then just when you come to center, it just rubber bands back to center and it just, just didn't feel inspiring in, in, in any way. Just bear in mind, these are the guys who drive a sob talking about steering feel. So, I, you know, let's but just, let's just keep that in mind. At least, at least with a sob, you expect what the steering to feel like. Yeah, I mean, to, and and it's part of its charm. Made, yeah, further that point that you made, Ryan. This is coming from a guy who drives a W123 diesel with a school bus <laughs> steering wheel and yeah. about as much play in it as. <laughs> Uh, a school bus. <laughs> it's a school bus, yeah. Who I drives argue, it fast. <laughs> I would argue that the W123, although it has a school bus steering wheel and that level of play, has good steering feel in some way. Well, There's yeah, something very right. positive about it, even though it's, it's loose. It's a direct link to the front, front axle in that car. That's just how old school that is. So the other car that we ended up going to look at was the car that we ended up buying, spoiler alert, a 2001 Saab 9.3 Viggen. Yeah, black five-door 9.3 Viggen. There's one important point to make about this Viggen, though. As I recall, this is, maybe maybe was and still is, the cheapest Viggen for sale in the country. Not only the cheapest, it's the shittiest Viggen in the country, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I have no qualms in saying that my own car is a piece of crap. And the, that was kind of the point of it. Yeah. Because I wanted a car that was to beat up on. It was a workhorse. Yeah. And when I mean, looking at it, it had these, these like bumper protectors on it. I remember Steven showed me the picture. I was like, this car it, is horrible. How could oh, you yes. buy this? It looks yeah, like it has absolute- front, front rubber bumper protectors. You know, we bought it at some somewhat Someone shady, here. shady dealer, exotic European, European car dealer, used car dealer in Jersey. Um, you know, paint chipped off, like scrapes. Uh, terrible. Yeah, paint the front bumper and the hood just, you know, the paint's peeling away. Yeah, um, the classic, classic Viggen things where the front uh, front balance was cracked. It was missing one of the toe jack, co- the jack covers. Um, other than that, it wasn't terrible. The front the driver's seat was torn. The foam was coming out of it. But everything looked and worked worked fine. Right. Which and I about the foam, by the way. I don't remember there being foam. It wasn't it wasn't that bad. I think you're exaggerating a little bit. It was not pouring out, but there was a rip and there still is a bit of one. Well did uh, you fix it? No, well we fixed it in another way. Yeah, we'll we'll get into how Aaron fixed it. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yes. But I don't remember your, your seat having that rip. But anyway, go ahead. Um, I will say that the day we went to go see it, uh, and I saw both cars on the same day, it was kind of rainy and then ended up sleeting. It was a slushy, icy, crummy day. And it snowed the night before. Right. So there was snow on the ground and then started kind of icy rain. Um, Also, when we got there, the car that we had to drive to go see both of these cars was the W123. 
Right. So it was kind of well, raining and cold and Max Arctic. Say that again, Ryan? On General Ultimax Arctic. Yes. Uh, on, on, on my car. Yes. I um, had it on fire, so it's not so bad in the snow. No, no. I, I will actually, I actually will go against Aaron's statement from earlier about the W123 not being the greatest in the snow. I completely disagree with that. I think it's for a real, real drive car, very good in the snow. It's very uh, heavy. It, it does very well. I will attest to it. I've driven it through a blizzard. Yeah, heavy. It's got Great. torque. It's snow. You know, it's so slow off the line that there's no way you can spin the tires. I mean, I have snow tires on it, so uh, that helps. Um, you have to watch when the boost does come in because then the tires just light up <laughs> but i will say it's the most controllable slide ever like oh yes I, it's a long car. yeah I and, and i did donuts in the center of providence yeah. during blizzard in that car and i would go for rides yes. and purposely kick out the back end and just with one hand do a windshield wiper kind of one way you know clockwise counterclockwise and i'd be going you know 15 miles per hour but the back end is sliding around and it was just the greatest thing um and that probably led to a lot of my diff troubles <laughs> but <laughs> it was worth it yeah that does make sense you know actually i recall very vividly the first time steven let me drive his w123 it was uh not like snowy out but it had snowed at college in in bryant uh, previously and uh, so he let me take it for a drive, and I just took it for a slow drive. I enjoyed it, but I didn't get, like, a great feel for it because it was just kind of a quick run. Mm -hmm. And then uh, coming back to school, uh, there's, you know, we had to park in this spot. Like, we, we all lived in townhouses, and there was sort of like a, a circle road around them and parking spots in front of the houses. And the only spot remaining had, like, a big, like, snow drift in it. And Stephen's like... Yeah, just floor it. It'll go right in. And actually, in fact, I kind of think I even got out of the car and let you park it. I, I don't remember that completely. I, I It sounds very familiar. I, I believe you did end up pulling it in. Um, I was nervous. I'm like, oh, this nice old Mercedes Benz, you know, and this kid just thrashed it around. And I was like giving it a gentle foot. He's like, floor it. <laughs> I mean, you have to floor it to make it go anywhere anyway, so... Yes, which you're not used to in other cars. No, right? it's, yeah, it's an intimidating thing. You're like, what, floor it? Are you insane? But literally off of every start, you floor it in order to just get the car going. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I picked up sobs. Yes, yeah, sobs. Um, back to sobs. Snowy, wet, rainy. To further the point about how kind of shitty this car was, it was on aftermarket wheels. I think there were 18s. Yes. There are 17 or 18 inch wheels, like or a black, black and silver on old summer tires. Yes. Like Nexons, probably. I actually think they were uh, they were Continentals or Michelins, but they were balls. That's a surprise. Like they were done. Like they'd probably been on the car for a couple thousand miles. Which the car did have, you know, when it we had. picked. Did we, when we, we, when we uh, 186. Was it 186? 186,000. Somewhere, That's yeah, a, somewhere around. Me, yeah. Um, so yeah, I went from looking at this uh, this B5 Avant, A4 Avant, uh, which I was think had 120 maybe. No, less. I think it was even less. No, it was it was no, I think it was under 100,000 dollars. 
Because it was half the half the amount of miles. It was definitely under a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Hundred thousand miles. Sorry. I'm almost done with this glass of port. Um, <laughs> it had less than half the miles that the Viggen had, uh, and was, I think, at maybe double the price of the Viggen at the time too. Um, but wanted, by all means. I think you wanted five or six and a half. For for the A4. For the A4. Right, and it, it was probably worth it. Yeah, right. objectively, by all means, it was newer, less miles, more reliable. Theoretically, you know. Paintwork um, wasn't great. Paintwork wasn't great, but. needed work. Yeah. But Typical Audi kind of wear. Would have, it would have stuck with your cars. <laughs> Say that again. It was dark blue though, so it would have stuck well. Yeah. Yes, it was kind of like it a dark with the blue theme. Purple. Yes, but uh, it just didn't do it for me. And then I, I drove. We so the Saab was not to get too detailed in the story, but it was parked in the back. Yeah. This this What's dealer has like Maseratis, it has BMWs and Porsches and Ferraris, and the Saab is sitting out back, not on the tarmac in like snow covered grass. And when we went to go see it, they gave us the keys and they said, yeah, it's, it's out back. Uh, go for a drive. <laughs> yeah, like, take as much time as you need. They didn't give a shit about this guy. Turns out, a small little tidbit, is the owner of the dealership is actually a hardcore Saab guy. Yeah, the guy who ended up buying it and holding it uh, for that dealership was a big Saab guy. Because they did have a, uh, like, the latest gen 9.5 arrow uh that was for sale there as well and a few i think they even had a 9.7 for sale and and since then i've always seen i've seen that dealership pop up and they have a lot of rare oddball just if that's a possible thing Psalms. they've had nine four exits they've had nine three like sport combi the all all-wheel drive version they had nine two X's with like an STI swap in it. They they this guy mm-hmm. likes his weird sobs and he does bring them in amongst a lot of the normal, if you can call normal for a kind of sketchy exotic car place. inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Where do they find that sob inventory though? I was thinking like this is the type of guy who when he looks at the used car auction sites, anytime there's a sob, he just bids on it because yep. Who else is bidding on the old sobs? You know, it's, that guy it's kind seems of, like what it was. Is the guy just likes sobs and he he bids on them. Everything else makes money for him. This thing, he just kind of is like, let's see what it's I a guilty can. pleasure. Yeah, and I mean, this one I think was one of the cars that he probably shouldn't have bought initially, just because he was trying to sell it and couldn't sell it. <laughs> How long was it sitting at the dealership before you guys got there? I think he, I think it was over a year it was sitting there. I, that sounds familiar to me too because I remember that the pictures were taken in the summertime. Yes. Yes. <laughs> pictures were taken in the summer, um, and I remember to I remember fi- first finding the car, and when I first found it, it was at five grand, so it was right in that range of like what we were looking for, and then over couple of weeks we kept looking around and i kept checking back on the sub it went down to 4500 i'm like okay 
couple weeks later, it was down to 3,500 or something like that. And Maybe, I, yeah. And I said to Steven, I said, we got to go check. That was when we kind of made the decision. We got to go check this thing out. Because they're, wa- they're wanting to sell it. They just keep I, dropping the price. I'm remembering the day that you bought the car and, like, we were talking about the fees yes. or whatever. Yes. The yes. So, and we're on the phone and I, I'm saying, how could he charge you this fee? It's ridiculous. Right. A $300, $300 document fee and all that bullshit. And you're like, tell him I'm not going to pay the, the – you just walk away. Just don't pay the fee if, and just don't do it. I'm like, where am I? Where else am I gonna find a vegan this cheap? <laughs> like, this is the only vegan. I have to pay this fee. Yeah, we three hundred dollars out of there with, money. That, with the vegan minus the fees, like three grand. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we bought the car for twenty seven fifty. Yeah, and right. With fees and taxes, it was like thirty two hundred ish. We bought a nine three vegan. <laughs> we bought a nine three vegan for twenty eight hundred dollars. And you know, so. To take a, a slight step back, I mean, obviously we purchased it, but I sat, we sat in a, in a, um, uh, what's that fast food place? Um, sat in like help. a Wawa. No, 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 no. We sat in a, a Panera Bread. Oh yeah, we did. That day after seeing both cars and I was having Ryan, I mean, Ryan knows me, um, and I'm a very pragmatic, logical thinker, um, so I was having like a an aneurysm. I was going crazy because I'm like, by all means, this Audi just makes more sense. But there's something about when I sat in the Vigan and drove it, we drove it basically just down the road during the slushy bullshit weather uh, and back. I drove it down or Aaron drove it down. I drove it back. Did you and, get it on boost? Yeah, we got it on boost uh, a bit. Um we didn't go any uh, down any turns. You know, it's also New Jersey, so there's no real interesting roads around. Um, but it was just I sat in the seat and I felt right at home. And even on these shitty tires and in the shitty weather, the car handled great. Um, and just everything just felt right. And we called our, our buddies on the 24 Hours uh, Lemons team, uh, which by this time we had already started. We had already built the car and we had already been racing. Right. So for context, seven ninety-seven thousand CSE. Right. No, so ninety-six, not ninety-seven. No, it's a ninety-seven. No way. It's got There's to be a, a ninety-six. I believe the body technically is a ninety-six, but for some odd reason, the transmission is from a ninety-seven. Who knows? It was a piece of shit when we bought it. Right. That's another story. You know, we bought a proper lemons car for four hundred dollars. It's a 96, 97 Saab 9000 CSC. Um, Scarab Green was backed into by a school bus. Speaking and, of school buses. And uh, salvaged. Yeah. And it had salvaged like title. miles on it, as I recall. Yeah, thereabouts, um, I believe. But yeah, we turned into a lemons car and we can go into our lemons racing history in, a, in another Podcasts, uh, unless you want to go into our first race now. And we can one, one thing before the first race. I just remember when we got this this saw this saw back home to to our buddy Don's house, mm-hmm. and we all went down to check it out. Uh, I got in, and it had this it has this beautiful leather, like this like oh. crew leather or something. It was like it had the Elmo, yeah, Elmo, Elmo leather, leather. Oh, yep. right. And I'm like, 
wow, this is actually a nice car. You know, it had this horrible quarter panel in the front from being backed into, but like, otherwise the color was gorgeous and like- uh, Yeah, great you know, scale, was great. Nice. Yeah, and, and the, the interior was nice. And yeah. so I got in it and I got to drive it down the road and I hadn't driven a Saab for quite a while, but I had fond memories of them growing up in my buddy's Vigan. And I remember just putting the, putting the, uh, the my the pedal down in second gear and just you know lighten up the wheels and just that feeling of the lightness in the sob steering while the boost gauge just goes up and it, it revs out and uh, from that moment I knew we were we were bound for success in our life. <laughs> yeah, I believe, I believe we that we were. First day, that first day we all took a joyride in that sob and ended up breaking a transmission mount or something at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, that does sound familiar. Something I think it was you, Eric. It was, yeah, I think it was me. I hit a bump and it just like, like dropped out. I'm like, oh, well, there goes the, the there goes the uh, transmission. That's pretty well, funny. we did end up turning it into our lemons car. And, you know, we'll have Saab fanatics know that we did salvage the nice Elmo interior. And yep. it's sitting probably in Don's basement. It's still sit. it's in a, it's in a shed, safe. And... I may have a plan for that interior for another car. Right. Uh, okay. And then the other thing is we never ended up truly painting over the nice scarab green exterior. No. I plastered the entire I had, car. I had, I had a fit. These boys were going to spray paint this beautiful scarab green exterior, and it just it rubbed me the wrong way, and I told them they had to plastic dip it. Yeah, yeah so, so, and I, so we plastic dipped it. Yeah, I plastic dipped the, the car to A few times. Which is which is great uh, in hindsight for lemons because you get a scuff like you you bump into someone slightly, all you do is you pull in the pitch, you spray a little plastic dip on it, and it's gone. Right. So, I mean, we'd come back race after race, and guys would say, "It's like, whoa, did you guys get a new one?" I said, "No, it's the same one. We just resprayed it." <laughs> some of them didn't buff out. I will say, like I for example. <laughs> Somebody decided to crash into someone with 15 minutes left of the race and destroy the passenger side of the car. <laughs> Luckily, though, we were able to replace the two passenger side doors with identical scarab green doors. <laughs> right. And even our front fender, eventually, we replaced that one that was backed into by bus with a scarab green front quarter panel. Yeah. The only thing that wasn't scarab green was the hood. That's right. Well, we uh, eventually replaced that hood with a non-scarab green, but it was you. Uh, you painted that up with our I, logo, yeah. and we are known as Sobs of Anarchy. Um, so you know, go follow us on Instagram at at Sobs of Anarchy. Um, and you know, we've been racing since 2017. 16, I think it's 16 is when we started. Um, if we want to get into it a little bit, our first race was at Thompson Motor Speedway in Connecticut. Uh, we were up for a full 24 hours trying to complete the car uh, and and weld in our roll cage. We did everything ourselves. We didn't bring anything to a shop. Uh, we're all not very mechanically inclined, but our buddies are very mechanically inclined. We have they did... two three friends that are legitimate sob nuts and engineers. Engineers. One of the guys, an engineer for Sikorsky. So we had like some real muscle on our teams, you know. So starting off, these guys, the Diamonds, had no working on car experience. I had no. like changing suspension, like little things type experience. And these guys, you know, one guy was building helicopters. So luckily, he was able to help us get it done. 
Yes. So we were up for 24 hours straight. Um, uh, and then eventually we got it done and got on a trailer and, you know, brought it up to, to Thompson. Ryan went ahead uh, with our buddy Mike, who you will hear in a in, in a episode of this podcast uh, as well. Um, and Ryan got a speeding ticket on the way to the to the race. Um, Listen, the I don't want to get too much detail about this race, but what I'd like yeah. to say about the 9000 <laughs> is that I think it impressed all of us as being like a really great car and and its ability to to fend with you know BMW series yeah and even some Porsches uh, of similar vintage yeah. has been really impressive at like yeah. even in the corners and and certainly from a power perspective we always expected the power perspective but even in the corners the car is quite impressive so at least for me that you know talking about sobs that gave me another different appreciation for them because I never imagined for you know the car to be so great on track. Yeah, no, exactly. This car, this car kind of surprised, surprised. I mean, surprised us. I can, I yeah, us three especially. But it also surprises a lot of people who are either spectating, watching the race, or in the race legitimately. Um, I know after Thompson, to make a really interesting story that we can talk about another time. Very short. We did end up blowing two engines um, during that race. Um, yes. But since then, we've gone on to win an actual 24-hour race with the car. Yeah, and class the car's B become really reliable. We've tweaked certain things um, to make it a little bit more reliable, a little bit faster in some aspects, but mostly keeping it pretty much stock. And I vividly remember one of the last races that we did. Steven was out there during practice day. And I guess someone had gone off, and there weren't too many cars on track, so they pulled everyone into the pits. And I have video evidence of this. And so they green flag it again. They send out. He was probably about four cars deep in the pack. They send everybody out. They go around. This was at New Jersey Motorsports Park uh, in, on the Lightning course. Mm-hmm. Send everybody out. Goes around. And we're waiting for, I'm sitting there waiting for all the cars to come by. And I'm expecting, okay, Steven's going to come by in the 9,000 a little bit later. He's He was the fourth one out. And unmistakably, I hear the sound of the Saab turbo just like flying down the front straight. Yeah, it does sound like a fast and furious car. <laughs> yeah, we do have a nice blow-off valve on it that makes it sound fast and furious-y. Um, but Steven comes flying down the front straight. And then about seven seconds later comes the next car. And it's like, wait, he started fourth, and now he's seven seconds ahead of everybody else? Uh, I will say and half of it is the car. Driving right yeah. behind, <laughs> half of it is the car. The other half is, is my skill uh, you know, behind the wheel. And a guy well, came up to me, came up to us, Stephen and I later, who was like, we're eating dinner, and said, what do you have in that thing? He said, what do you mean? He's like, it's like, that thing was flying down the front straight. It was so far. Like, my my buddy went out first, and you just flew by him. It's basically stock. <laughs> yeah, with, like, a stage tune. That's, you know, stage got two. A tune, tune, raised rev limiter. Yeah. We did put a bigger turbo on it from a We had the aero, aero turbo. An aero it's turbo. It, it's just all it is. It's like it's like almost a stock 9000 arrow. It has a, a bigger yeah. exhaust tune and nothing else. Yeah, yeah nothing it else. Really. Exhaust by, and just by stripped out, team. you know, less weight. 
it's got no it's got nothing in it um yeah. and to go back to the fact that i mean the car handles relatively good i mean it is a front wheel drive five door sedan so it is a bit of a pig in the corners it goes really quick down the straights but I mean, it's still it was a family luxury car. I mean, one of the jokes is we still have the wood dash in it. <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, you know what what's funny with the car, and I think you know this we we can transfer back to your Vigan with this yes. is that I think it's a characteristic of all Sobs that I've ever driven is that they they have very laggy turbo motors. So like really old school style of power and that you put your foot down and there's nothing, nothing boost and it comes on and the boost comes on very hard. It's just like, boom, and you're on boost. And so racing the car around the track, for me, one of the biggest struggles with it is to manage your throttle effectively mid corner and exiting the corner to get the car on boost, but not roast the tires, right? Because it's, right. As soon as it gets on boost, it's very easy to just light up all the tires. You have to like the very finesse thing with with the throttle to, to you know really keep the most out of it because if you don't get it on boost before you're at the middle of the corner, by the time you're exiting, you're waiting for it to get on boost. You know, so it's a it's a it's a funny experience, and I think that on the road, your your vigan is exactly the same. No, I would agree, and I think it's that sensation that I got uh in the Vigan when I first sat in it that I connected immediately to the race car and having had such a great experience in that 9000 I said I have to have that for the road from driving and racing the 9000 I think we just felt a little bit more comfortable in that car in the Vigan we spoke to our father uh about it he's like what do you think about us buying this Saab and he probably said one of the most he probably said something that no one else would normally say in this situation when you're buying a Saab with 186,000 miles on it and that he said I think it's a good idea you guys have been driving a Saab on track and you've been working on one so you kind of know how these cars work and you have friends who really know how these cars work so if there was ever an old shitty car that you should get this is the old shitty car that you should get <laughs> And it was absolutely right. He managed you guys. He managed you guys correctly. That was like a man, that was a high level manager's viewpoint. Well, you know, you guys work on Saab, so like, yeah, sure. <laughs> but he he was right, as it turns he was, out. He was right. I mean, over the years that Stephen and I have had this Saab, we've done primarily all the work ourselves with help from friends. Yes. Sometimes we can't do it all ourselves necessarily, <laughs> so we've paid our friends to do the work for us. <laughs> because they're, they're not busy enough working on their own old oh, shitty wow. sods. So you need to pay them to work on someone else's old shitty sod. Well, what was nice about this sod is even though it had 186,000 miles on it, once we got it home and we took a look at it, it had a lot of good parts on it. It had the Viggen rescue kit, so it had a bunch of the braces um over the years we've kind of built onto it i know i put a tune on it a very light tune um i've done all the engine mounts we've replaced all of those a few times the transmission mount and the main men engine mount are now uh poly poly yeah you guys mount. probably dd shifted your way out of a few engine mounts yeah uh, <laughs> We've, the whole front end is now poly bushings. Actually, even the rear end now, I believe, is poly bushings, except for the rear 
because I know the rear axle is on poly bushings, which is why it kind of hops. Um, which also it's a beam axle rear, so that's that's also why it hops. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we bought this car and uh, we put some some love and attention into it to keep it going. It's needed it. Yeah. Uh, my mantra hasn't been to put too much money into it because it is a piece of shit and should it remain. Was, it was both of our second car, basically. Yeah, I, I paid for it, but. Yes, you did buy it. <laughs> I, the, so it was, this was the deal when we first decided to buy this thing. And you cannot deny this, Stephen. The mm. deal was that Stephen bought it. I did. I was the one who did all the work. I did deny that. I you did, ended up doing all the work. I did all the work. I and I. But uh, that wasn't the agreement. It was kind of the agreement. <laughs> all right, we're having a brother bicker fest right now. Um. This, is, this is a typical diamond affair. But uh, so I will say that over the years, I would say we've had a lot of great experiences with this with this Vigan. Yes. I specifically recall uh, a time when when I was driving this car up uh, to New Hampshire. We, we, uh, oftentimes, when uh, I used to live in Rhode Island, we'd all meet uh, somewhere in the Northeast, um, and we'd uh, Stephen and and some friends from New York, like Harry, for example, would meet us. My buddy Ross and I up north, and we'd meet and we'd take one car up to New Hampshire and go hiking and camp for the weekend. So I talked Stephen into driving, letting me drive, you know, because I always wanted to drive. And uh, I remember, you know, this Saab, it's such a beast on the highway. It was everything that I dreamed of as a kid in uh, Harry's dad's Viggen. You know, it was just like that because you, you hit the gas and you're going 120 and it just, it sucks down into the road and picks up. And so. Was that I'm the going, first time you drove a Viggen? Was that, was no, my Viggen on that trip or? No, no, I, I've driven Viggen since I was, uh. Since I, since the, you know, the, the second car I drove on the day I got my license was a Viggen. Oh, really? I, I was driving oh, my mom's, yeah, I was driving my mom's Audi A4 and I met some people at a party and Harry showed up and his dad had given them the Viggen at that time. And it, the Viggen, his Viggen was a piece of shit too. It had like 230,000 miles on it. And it was like, you know, worn out a check engine light on the shift knob was like floating around, you know, it was, yeah. it was a clunker. Yeah didn't have full power at the time, but it was still fast because you have the mods on it. And I remember ripping it down the road. And, and there was like this one corner that I used to like near my uh, near my house. And uh, that was my first time driving a big okay. one. And I, I drove it a few times after that, but not much. But uh, we uh, we're, we're driving down this road in New Hampshire. I'm driving in the Viggen probably like 120 miles an hour, maybe a little bit more. I might've done like 140 in it, maybe a little less. I think a little less. And, uh, you know, just the, the car is a beast on the highway. And all of a sudden, go ahead. I was going to say, remember, we were on um, wobble bolts. So. Right. Well, <laughs> I just like to preface that I didn't, know, I didn't know we were on wobble bolts. I only found this out afterwards. Right. But uh the car is amazing, rock solid, you know, we're flying and it, and it has this, you know, a nice sound to it. All of a sudden, you know, at 120 miles an hour, I just hear this horrible noise, like. Shearing metal like, sound. Yeah, like it sounded like I blew the motor. I said, oh boy, I just toasted his motor. He's not going to be so pleased about this. <laughs> so I, I dipped the clutch in and it, and it was really loud. I mean, it was shocking. Yeah. I, I dipped the clutch in put the car in neutral, 
you know, we like sort of float down to reasonable speeds. Yeah, float down the like, highway. Right. You know, now middle we're going of night, middle of night, so no one there. Right. And I, I was like, wait, the car's still running. So yeah, I like. Yeah, I said, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Put it back. Put it back in gear. I like hit the gas and it like revved up. I remember. And then I put it in gear and I hit the gas and it was just like, whoa, this <laughs> noise. And our seats were shaking. <laughs> Yeah, it was so loud. So we we I don't think we really knew what happened when we were on the on the highway. We were all I, kind I of. I knew. You knew you didn't make it so clear. At least you know. You because well, Aaron. Maybe, maybe, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. <laughs> so I didn't know shit, and I'm just thinking, man, I ruined this guy's car, and I was driving like an asshole. Like I feel bad about it. So we get off the highway, we pull into this gas station, and I get out of the car and I look underneath and I'm like, well, I know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> the entire back section of the exhaust had fallen off. And I'm like, shortly after the catalytic converter to the to the thing, the muffler exiting the rear of the car just sheared off and blew up the back of the car. Somewhere on the highway. <laughs> hopefully somebody else didn't hit it and have an accident, you know? Yeah, hopefully not. But the muffler was still attached. No. No, no. I think the whole rear section, I think, fell off. We didn't take it off. The muffler was still attached. It was just that center section had blown out. Actually, he's right. He's right. The hanger still hung on. I remember telling you. You are right. The muffler was there. Take the muffler off the car. (laughs) Yeah, we, we did drive with the muffler dragging on the ground, I think, for a little while before we pulled off, found it, and it was, you know, burning hot uh we did i don't even remember that i think so i I do recall this i mean aaron would know because i got i I think we still have the muffler (laughs) yeah no the muffler is gone we trashed it because it was not worth it because it rusted out yeah so basically the exhaust was rusty and you blew out the, the middle section of the exhaust right now the exhaust was exiting towards the gas tank Wait, yes, so hang on, but, before you even mention that, we drove around this car all weekend like assholes, just <laughs> driving over 100 miles an hour in every chance possible, flooring it in every possible circumstance. You know, we, we were just no trying, to, trying to pass freight trucks. And, right. Uh, we were giddy. We were absolutely giddy. And uh, and so we're, we love this car. It sounds so good with no muffler, blah, blah, blah. And luckily, I had the wherewithal right when we were driving back. I said, look, we should just, you know, check it out underneath before we uh, drive back, you know, just to make sure everything's okay." I don't think we had spoken about the gas tank. I think we just said we were going to check it out. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I had called Aaron because the thing I was going to mention is before going on the trip, Aaron had mentioned caution uh, that the exhaust is very rusty. So just (laughs) be aware of that. And so when that did happen, I think I yeah I had an inkling of, oh shit, what is that? Oh wait, I think I know it might be this. Um, but I, I believe I, I had called Aaron and said, yep, you were right. Uh, you know we lost the the center exhaust. Um, and we've been driving around, and I think Aaron had also mentioned, well you should check the the gas tank. Because the gas tank is situated right before the rear axle yes and it's made of plastic and it's made of plastic well it's a very thick plastic it's a bladder 
And so the exhaust basically routes directly back and then it routes underneath and around the gas tank out the driver's side uh, of the vehicle. So I said, where, I think I remember asking you, it's like, where did it break? Because I remembered where it was kind of rusty. And I did tell you, check the gas tank because hopefully it's not Leaking. directed directly towards the gas tank and it's going to melt the gas tank. This sounds familiar. I think I remember us all saying like, yeah, well, Aaron, what does he know? You know, like, let's <laughs> ignore that and just drive like crazy. Well, yeah, we, did, we didn't take his advice so seriously. We weren't like, oh, shit, he's right. We should really look into this. We're like, you know, that's probably a good thing. Let us drive around and enjoy our time a little bit more. Let's enjoy our hike, go for dinner, have some fun. And then when it's time to leave, let's let's be serious about it. We're going to drive, you know, three plus hours home. Let's check it. So, so then I get a phone call the next day. Well, here's the thing. We had to get, we didn't, we, you couldn't really see under the car well. It wasn't like, like, as I recall, only once we put it up on the uh, curb did we know what the real what really happened. So we had to back the car under the curb, which I believe I ended up doing at the end because you were worried about roasting the clutch. I, I think you did. You did do it. So first of all, um, the the car was sitting on these shitty fake ass three piece wheels that Aaron had uh, bought for his 400e, but never used because they didn't fit right. Um, these ESM gold kind of BBS style wheels. Anyways, I think it's an important detail. Um, and, you know, it had wobble bolts because it wasn't a correct uh, bolt pattern for the car. We're in Home Depot and we went to Home Depot not to check the gas was the gas tank was leaking, just to fix the exhaust so it wasn't pointing at the gas tank. So we went into Home Depot and bought a dryer vent. Hang on, uh, no, 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 that, this, is not, this is not true. We didn't do that before we saw the gas tank. Yeah, and we did. No, I, I'm yes. sure that we already knew the gas tank was leaking. I'm sure of this because I remember going through Home Depot and we were kind of panicked that we needed a solution. Well, we uh, it might have been a two-part thing, but we, we knew we had to, had to point the exhaust fumes away from the gas tank. So uh, I had a great MacGyver idea of right. purchasing a purchasing chicken wire and dryer tube to like like uh you know one of those those metal tubes that come off the back of a dryer to redirect the gas out which by the way i stand by was a great idea what what else could we have come up with that would have been better it, than that it was so good that aaron decided to continue driving on it after we even we got back for about a month <laughs> i did drive it like that for about a month because so, i was like i need to figure out what else i can do to fix this exhaust because we were doing this on the we were fixing everything on this car kind of on the cheap yes because so i just left it for about a month so forget about the 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 dryer thing though because that was good i think you could have left that for a long time the bigger issue was that was that when we so whatever the case either whether it was before or after we got into home depot at some point we recognized that we had burned a fucking hole in this gas tank we we had a seep we had a gas seep from the tank not a seep you could visibly see the plastic had been melted and there was like oh the 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 gas is is dripping out of the gas tank i think that's an exaggeration it was seeping you make it sound like there was a crack and it was seeping out like the the gas tank was melted you could see the gas tank the gas tank was i was the one who did the eventual 
second repair on it. You guys repaired it with some like JB Weld. JB Weld. Yes. Kelvin in a Walmart uh, parking lot. In, in a in a Home Depot Walmart parking lot, whatever. You did that. I did the secondary fix once that failed, but it was slightly melted and it was seeping. It wasn't a full leak, but it was a constant seep. Yeah. Where yeah. It was constantly dripping gas, and it was dripping gas towards a very hot exhaust. So yes, it wasn't the greatest scenario. Nope. Um, so we borrow some tools from Home Depot. Yep. We we string up this uh, this contraption, which you know really did work out and was pretty cool. So so essentially, what it meant is that we had a side pipe on the big end now because we just directed directed it to the, the exhaust out. right off the side. Right. And we we decided that we needed to repair the gas tank. And I believe we went to like a, an auto zone. Yep, we went we to, tried a, to find like a gas tank patch kit, which I, I don't think we found. We found like nope. a fiberglass patch kit or something, which we did buy. Mm-hmm. And then we found, uh, they didn't have JB Weld, so we had to go to a Walmart to get the JB Weld. Yep. And we backed it onto a- Curling. Uh, like not even a- Garden. Like a- uh, An uh, island divider. Of mulch, right? We backed right, it on right. the like, this mulch, and our two buddies that were with us were absolutely useless. So Stephen and I had to figure this out. In our yeah, the whole time it was Ryan and I while our buddies dicked around in like a, a shopping cart. <laughs> yeah, you was Harry was sitting in a shopping cart, and the, the funniest part about it is I remember the two of us yelling at each other as we're making the JB weld because it right. was setting up so fast. <laughs> like, quick, quick, quick! Put it- Anyways, we've been talking for an hour already, and and I I would like to talk about other sob stories, but maybe yes. we could we could skip forward to to what you guys have done recently to the car, which is a racing seat and <laughs> non wobble bolt wheels, yep. <laughs> and uh and a, a rally shift knob, and Aaron took the car on uh, on track right. recently. So maybe we could close out with Aaron. You tell us a little bit about the experience of having this on track with some Honda S2000s. So yeah, being as I work at a motorsports shop, I'm surrounded by, I'm always talking to track day, guys like setting up track days and things like that. So we sponsor a couple of groups and amidst all this COVID stuff that's going on currently, Things started calming down, and one of the groups, um, S2000 Takeover, set up a track day at New York Safety Track, all the way up in like near Oneonta. And it was on. It was a Friday and Saturday, but since we're a sponsor, we're like, oh, we should probably have a presence there, see what what's going on. Two of the guys I work with actually do have S2000s, but they both of their S2000s weren't ready for this, so I. Submitted. It's like, hey, I'll take my car, <laughs> and so I took the Saab. Uh, furthermore, it now has non-wobble bolt wheels. It has regular Saab wheels. I believe they're Saab wheels off of a 9.5. Yeah, they're um, 9.5 Aero wheels. They're 9.5 Aero wheels that I spray painted bronze because they were really crappy paint. Um, and they're on. Uh, are they on Derezas? No, they. Um, no, they're on the same tires that we run on the race car, which are Hankook Ventus The Hankook tires, which are yes, which are great, fantastic high-performance tires. Well, so hang on, you like the Hankook steering feel better than the Durezas? 
Terezas have a little bit better steering feel. The Honkooks have a little bit better grip and have better wear. So yeah. overall, that's why I like the Honkooks a little. I think the Honkooks are like, are, they must be like hockey pucks because we, we raced them for 24 hours and didn't change the tires. Oh, plus, yeah, the ones that we use for the race are done. Um, they've been heat cycled plenty of times. But so I decided to take the car to track. Now, previous to this, I actually had an old race seat that I decided to throw in the car. So currently there is an actual race seat in the driver's seat. Which and car is that from, by the way? That is from the 996. <laughs> the original thin OMP seat from the 996. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that seat. I can just barely fit in it. Like, it's it, a, yeah, it's one of the very it's narrow. It's the smaller seat, although I am a fairly small person. So it fits me perfectly. Um, furthermore, I did a short shift kit. And what I decided to do on the short shift kit is instead of use the stock knob, is I actually used, since we work on OMP fire systems, I actually used a part from an old OMP, like a discharge fire system, which is, um, I actually have a part with me here in my apartment. It's a carbon fiber tube off of an OMP fire system that I modified and put as a shift knob. Um, Side note, I did notice nowadays when the weather gets warm, the top of the shift knob is aluminum, gets very hot. But I took the car up to New York Safety Track with the S2000 takeover. So there's a whole bunch of Honda S2000 guys that had their cars out there. And a couple of other like Honda Civic Type Rs, FK8s, and me in this Saab 9.3 Vigan with over 200,000 miles on it now, with basically just a race seat and some nice tires. I did not change the brakes. I've done nothing really to, it's on stock suspension, has a slight tune, so on and so forth, a little bit, I mean, it's got poly bushings, but really it's pretty basic. Hang on, your car is on lowering springs in Bilstein HDs. No, it's on stock springs. Stock, stock springs. springs. Bilstein, stock Bilstein springs. HDs. Though. Bilstein HDs, although they're old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about it for the car. I, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the car, um, which includes doing an intercooler because uh, the car does get hot very quickly. Um, really? Gets, yeah, right. it does. It gets hot very quickly, and in very hot weather, it does start to taper off in terms of boost. Yeah. So... But it was an absolute joy to have out on track. And at first I was a little nervous just because I'm used to driving. We kind of built our race car, so it's more of a race car. We're running race pads. We're running, I mean, we've got lowering springs on it, but the car came with lowering springs. But it's it's more set up for racing than yeah. this car is. We, we got our race car to the point where it's it's quite predictable now. Like, it, it's yes. not surprising us with its behavior. And, and it frankly, it took a while to get there. So if you just take any car on track, it's not – you wouldn't expect it to be like that. Yeah. Right. And so, this, so take, the Vigan, it's probably more like the 9000 was when we first started racing it. Exactly. That's exactly how, when I first started taking it out there, that's what it felt like. The only thing – it's a little bit shorter. So mm – -hmm when it's it's not as boaty and tossable in the corners with the 9000 you can kind of swing its weight around 
with the 9.3 Vigan, you don't really you don't have that possibility as much. So you can't really toss the back end around freely. But as, as the picture, um, one of the there was a professional photographer there, um, and he actually was able to capture one of these moments. But I was able to three wheel the car around a couple of the corners, mm-hmm. and I did have one thing that this car did at this track during this day was it put a smile on everybody else's face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in the paddock, and I have like. Other, the track workers are walking by and they're going, is that a Saab? I'm like, yeah. It's like, oh man, do they still make those? Like everyone's asking questions about it. Like, oh, what did you do to it? Kind of things like that. And people, they see it out on track. And I, I remember the Saab, this car is not the best around corners. I mean, I'm going up against out on track S2000s, which are basically like a go-kart around a fairly narrow windy course. And, and New York safety track is primarily a motorcycle, motorcycle track, track. Yes. Um, got a lot of elevation changes. Um, and a lot of the back half of the track is very narrow and very short and windy. But it has a very long front straight because that front straight is actually an airport. It's a landing strip for it's also Airplanes. an airport. Yeah. So what do you get yeah, up to on the straight? Um, I didn't push it all the way. What's kind of funny about it is going down the straight, you, I, I get into fourth. And as I get into fourth, towards the end of the straight, as soon as I get to the end, boost starts kicking in even more right at the end. So you're just like, oh, geez, I'm going fast. Oh, geez, I'm going fast. Let's go to fourth. Okay, it's a little bit calmer. Oh, God, I'm going faster. I'm going faster. Oh, I need a break. I need a break. I need a break. <laughs> and I don't have race pads on it. Oh, the car is really soft in terms of braking. But, I mean, I had corner workers coming up to me afterwards, and they were like, you were going around that corner, man, and the car was on three wheels the entire time. It was awesome. I had other <laughs> people in S2000s who were coming up to me. So, like, I would give point buys to people all the time, and they wouldn't take it. They would, like, wave me off. And I'm going, why are they waving me off? I'm so, so much slower than they are in these corners. I mean, yes, I'm going to, so many times I had to let an S2000 pass me on the straight just because I knew they'd be gone as soon as I hit the first corner. But I had to basically lift off to let them go by. <laughs> but around these windy bits, it's like, go past me, like, go take your lap. I ended up talking to some of these people afterwards, and they said that, we didn't want to pass you because we were so enthralled with the way that car moves around the track. <laughs> they just, they just wanted to watch. They having were just followed, watching. Having followed that car before, I remember we were on Route 2 in New York, <laughs> and I was following Steven, and I recall like stopping you. I said, I said, oh, my God, the car looks ridiculous going on the corner. It looks like the body is sideways and the wheels are straight. Like, it looked totally bonkers. But uh, so so overall, you know, like, was it fun on the track or, or, you know, was it better than you expected? Was the handling very different than the than the 9000? Was it better? Handling was very similar to the 9000. Of course, there's a lot of things that would need to be done to make this, which, of course, is what we did to the 9000, modified the car to make it more trackable. You would need to basically do the same thing with this car. I would go so far as to say that I actually enjoy driving the 9000, even in its infancy, a little bit better than driving this car. 
Um, the 9000 doesn't have as much, is not as top heavy as this one is. This one's shorter and a lot taller. The 9000 is surprisingly low slung. Yeah, it's true. The, your center of gravity is definitely lower on the 9000 and you feel it in the corners. There's more like a, the, the tippy feel in the Vigan. Yeah, the Vigan is very tippy. You're going around the corner, especially I'm on stock suspension. It's a Vigan, so it's got sport suspension. But it just, it, it rocks. Keels and over. You, yeah. you can play with that weight, but you have to, there's times where it gets sketchy. Uh, where it's like, I'll get on the brake, and the car will kind of rock one way, and I have to get on the throttle to kind of balance the car back out. But it's like, I need to get back on the brakes again, otherwise I'm going into the woods. So, it, yeah, the car is fun. Would I necessarily love it as a track car? No. Would I still want to turn it into a track car? Yes, but not as a track car. I think this car would be great as an autocross or maybe even a hill climb car. I think it's a rally car. I, you know, I honestly... It's I, a I lot think... more, in comparison to the 9000, it's a lot more tossable because you do have that higher weight. So you can kind of sling it around quicker than the 9000 can. Um, a rally cross car, yeah, maybe not a Vigan. Maybe take an NG900 three-door, so it's a little bit shorter wheelbase. That would probably be a little bit better for a rally cross car. car. Um, I think we established that the, the three-door is the same wheelbase length as the five-door. I, I think it would be the same it length. Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three-door is the same length. You but I, I get what you mean. It screams rally car. I have to say, it just it does. does. You, know, you you really should make it into a rally car. Uh, I I think we should probably wrap up so that we don't keep this too long. But uh, I, I guess they, no one wants to listen to you know, three guys go on about sobs for two hours. No, I think no, that's we've that's, probably reached the limit. But I, I think you all can get the sense that, that we're all pretty chuffed about sobs and, and they, they share a place in all of our hearts. We yes. have many more sob stories to share. You know, I, I've even owned my own sob, which I haven't mentioned here. Um, and so, uh, you know, on some future podcasts, we'll talk some more about our sob experiences and uh, and tell you more about our 24 hours of lemons racing. Yes. And if you want to read more about the purchase of my or our Saab 9.3 Vigan, you can check out my article on it on the-autoholic.com. My first second is the name of it. Pretty early one. Well, thanks, guys. Autoholic signing off for now. Thanks, thanks Aaron. Guys. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to Autoholics Anonymous by The Autoholic. Tune into future episodes and follow our adventures at the-autoholic.com or on Instagram at the.autoholic and Twitter at theautoholic, straight through. Stay safe, but don't forget to drive fast and take chances. Cheers! Introduction music by Stephen Diamond.